welcome everybody back to episode two of All About the Data podcast. Today we got a special guest for you, Juan Pablo. Most of y'all know him on Twitter, and if you don't, you're about to know him now. Make sure you follow him. Of course, we got our co-host, Jafar Quant King J. <laughs> Denise Edwards in the building. Thank you guys for joining me. Go ahead, say something, talk to the people, you guys. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. Going on, everybody. We're here for the second episode. Getting it in. My man Juan Pablo Morelio. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. So, um, so I'm just going to go ahead and do a quick introduction of Juan, and we'll actually get the discussion started. Um, once again, make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to podcasts, Apple, whichever one you are using, um, as we'll be dropping these. Uh, interviews and discussions um, on a weekly basis. And it is to help all of us learn from professionals, learn from newbies um, on our journeys, you know, whatever resources and that we're using. So Juan Pablo was actually a math teacher that turned an analytics engineer. He graduated with a BA and an MS in mathematics from Sonoma State University. I probably said that wrong and the University of Iowa, respectfully. He taught college and high school math prior to transitioning to data analytics. Since then, he has worked for T-Mobile and Amazon, two companies with a massive amounts of data. Not to mention Juan is a mentor at the MS and in Information Systems Program at the University of Washington in Seattle. And he is a Twitter tech celebrity. I just added that in there. <laughs> Let Juan talk to the people. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I am excited to be part of this podcast. I'm excited for the invitation and uh, to interact with you and to talk data and data careers. Awesome. Awesome. We're happy to have you on um, with such such great credentials. Um, I have to ask, uh, what led you to becoming a teacher? Like, was that something you always wanted to do or... Um, I wanted to be a professor. Okay. Uh, and part of it was that um, I was in, in college. Actually, my family moved to the United States when I was in high school. Math was the subject that somehow resonated with me the most. I couldn't, you know, as a 16-year-old, brand new to the U.S., uh, having grown up speaking Spanish, you're in an English class and you cannot argue uh, your way into anything. But in math, I had a voice without really having a voice. I just had to share my answers, my computations, uh, my problem-solving skills, and, um, and that was enough. And so I found a bit of a community there. And so that led me onto mathematics. I wanted to be a professor. That's why I went to a graduate program in math. Uh, eventually turned out to be not what I wanted or not what I thought it would be. And my experience as a graduate student was in math teaching. So um, many schools reached out to me with roles for, for math teaching. And that's how I ended up being a teacher. I mean, I actually enjoy teaching. I enjoy connecting with people and mentoring. And it, it seemed like a, like a natural path, if that makes sense. Got you. So along with the joy of teaching, did you enjoy math? Like, was that your favorite topic in school? Or like, did, did you find math or did my math find you, Juan? Uh, 
I, I think I found math, uh, but <laughs> math was always naturally, um, it came naturally for me. Uh, I'm by no means uh, some math wizard. It just, uh, it just made sense. And I was always drawn towards it. I don't know, Juan. You have a master's degree. I have to call you a math wizard. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't just, you can't just have a master's in math and not be a, a wizard, Juan. Juan, quick question on that. Yes. I mean, coming from a guy, I don't care for math in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do a little bit of finance and stuff and day trading. So um, there is certain mathematics involved in it. Um, I wanted to ask... More so, what do you, I guess for me, like for math, I enjoy, I only enjoy math when I know the, the formula that is required for it. And I fully understand it. Is that more so the same for you or what process do you enjoy about the math? That's uh, an excellent question. And I think it has changed over the years when, mm. you know, as a, as a seventh grader, I liked pre-algebra and arithmetic later in high school. Uh, and my first year or two of college, it became, uh, perhaps it was calculus that attracted me the most, linear algebra or intro to linear algebra. Um, Man, then, what attracted you about that? Because that was just a whole bunch of Greek numbers <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> I'm it, it, it a cute girl. I'm attracted by her. I, I, look at, I'm, I don't see the attraction there, my friend. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor choice of words. I felt challenged by it, uh, intrigued. Okay. Uh, later, it became uh, more on the abstract uh, math, or what do you call abstract algebra, modern algebra, uh, mm -hmm. proof writing. Uh, it's it's heavy on logic, uh, and mm -hmm. so that made me go to graduate school in mathematics. Uh, since then, my interests have changed. I'm more interested in computation. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of that's part of the reason I am in in data analytics, uh, business intelligence. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Initially, it was more the concepts. <clears throat> now it is more the applications. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, how long were you uh, a math teacher? So I taught two years in college as a graduate student. Actually, in graduate school as a graduate student, and one year as a, a high school teacher in the Midwest. Okay. Um, and it was actually my high school teaching experience. It was my last quarter or trimester. I don't know what, yeah, quarter. And they needed a Python programmer uh, or Python programming teacher. And no one in my department, in the math department, wanted to teach that class. Wait, Again, Python programming in high school? In high school, yes. This was a private high school in, the, in mm. St. Louis County. Oh, okay. And no one wanted to teach that class. And to be honest, I had very little experience with Python. I was familiar with SAS, with R, but since no one wanted it, I saw it as an opportunity for me to learn it. And mm -hmm. it was an elective for high school students. And I used one of my calculus students as uh, a TA in my Python class. And I learned some Python. And towards the end of the class, I realized, I think I have, I'm good enough at this to make a living mm. uh, programming or doing uh, data programming, if you will. And I decided not to come back to uh, my teaching job the next year. And I moved to the West Coast and 
transition into data analytics. And Juan, did they cry when you left? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they found someone who could do the job just as well, if not better. Well, so I, I got a question, but I, I don't know, Shanice, if you had anything before I ask. Yeah, I was going to say, so I imagine your transition into data analytics was pretty easy then, since you had that, back map, that math background already. That's what I thought, but it mm. took me about nine months to land that first job. Mm. I thought it would be easier, uh, but, you know, it wasn't. And part of my, the content that I create on Twitter is based on that so that people don't have to learn from their own mistakes and instead they can learn from my mistakes. Okay. Okay. So the math wasn't as difficult as what you're saying. So there's hope. No, no. <laughs> I, oh, what I meant is, is that I thought that the credentials would uh, mm. open doors for me or make it okay. mm. an easy transition, but it wasn't as easy. Uh, many people mm. saw it as, okay, well, you're a good promise, but I don't know if you can deliver from day one. Mm. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so, I vouch for that. Being a person so, that doesn't have any degrees and stuff, so you know, so with you got to be able to do the work. Yeah, yeah. With with your math background and your R, um, R knowledge, knowledge in R and knowledge in Python, what do you feel was making the transition difficult? Like, what do you feel like you were missing? My lack of experience outside of math teaching. Okay. I had zero experience in a corporate setting uh, mm. and doing, let's say, programming or analytics for a for-profit company. Right? I had math experience, math teaching experience, and I had done side jobs, mostly restaurant work when I was uh, um, in high school and in college. Right? And that to many employers, that simply doesn't transfer. So you teach in Python didn't help in any way? I I don't think so. Um, mm. I don't think it did much. Got you. But I eventually made it happen. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to I want to revisit that because I know there's some good points in that that people would definitely want to hear. But I have to ask this million dollar question before I forget. Why data and not Python developer? Mm, but, okay. As a graduate student, I was a uh, I was in a math PhD program. Uh, you get the master's after two or three years uh, once you finish a set number of units and clear the, the uh, PhD qualifying exams. In my second year, I realized, okay, math PhD is not for me, yet I'm here in this program and I, I am at a university that has multiple other PhD programs. I started taking courses in statistics and biostatistics. That's how I came to find out about R and SAS and predictive modeling, um, linear models, uh, just data analytics in general. And so data analytics seemed like the easiest, or not the easiest, the, the closest field to my knowledge or my uh, experience then. Uh, also, I noticed that for development, for software development, there were no uh, educational requirements. We're talking 2015, 2016. 
Whereas for data science and data analytics, there were some educational requirements. So I thought, well, I have all this education, I need to leverage it. And so I made that decision then. Gotcha, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I wanna go back to the, the zero experience um, part, um, which I, I, I find that crazy because, well, you said you never did it for a company for money. Um, so how did you gain that experience to mm -hmm. land that role within nine months? Yes, um, I created a portfolio in R pubs. So I was using R, I was familiar with R. So I would create this um, R markdown notebooks equivalent to a Jupyter notebook and push mm. them to R pubs. And I listed, I created also a personal website and I listed my uh, projects there. Uh, I socialized some of them on LinkedIn. I wasn't as active back then. I would also go to meetups and you know, connect with people. Uh, I was able to land an unpaid internship uh, for now a defunct startup. Uh, that gave me some experience. I didn't do much data work there. Uh, actually, he had me do mostly uh, web development which I learned through free code camp. I haven't done much since, uh, but that was enough for some people to call me and uh, interview me, right? Most of the interviews, uh, well, all of those interviews led to nothing, uh, but at least I got some interview experience, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, initially I see the interview process as a funnel where initially you're just applying, then you get the initial uh, phone text screening if you fail, well, you have to work on that. Then you go to uh, what's known as the on-site where you have multiple loops with different uh, stakeholders, managers, and eventually you know, you negotiate a salary. Uh, but I was getting technical phone screenings. Then I was invited on-site for the loops, but I was not able to, um, to clear those loops. Or sometimes they would tell me, you know what? We went with, we went with someone else who has more experience. And I was getting desperate. Uh, I would go to meetups. I don't know if you're familiar with meetup.com. Yeah. Uh, and, I would, and I started going to meetups in Seattle for data science, for uh, Python programming, for web development, for anything that was tech related. And I would sit in the back, I would scan the room and I would look for people who looked like they're in their forties, maybe fifties. I thought, okay, they're, there's a high likelihood that they are managers and potentially they're hiring. And so I would introduce myself to them and, you know, try to connect. If there were drinks there, I would try to get him a drink. You know, I was trying to be that friendly person so that it would eventually lead to a job. Now, Juan, what, what data did you look at to say that? Because they're 40 or 50, they're hiring managers, Juan. <laughs> I got to know where that data is, Juan. I, I went with my gut. I went with my gut and... Uh, Anyway, I eventually I met someone. I met multiple people, but one of those um, connections led to a job. Okay. And then I was in, right? Once, uh, uh, once, once I was hired, uh, my first salary was peanuts, but it doesn't matter. I was in. Uh, mm -hmm. At that point, I had to prove myself on the job and, you know, the rest is just history. Yeah, facts. Um, definitely. Uh, Juan, I'm going to call you a web developer on the low. 
Oh, <laughs> my God. Behind the scenes, guys. We're developer one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, oh, developer one, that's actually a good nickname. Developer, that should be oh, like a name, developer one. <laughs> or Juan the developer. Juan, don't listen to this guy. He all the time. Juan, I want to know, like, how did you get to Amazon? How do you get to where you are now? Yes, um, my first job, my first full-time role was with a consulting company. I was the fourth or fifth employee. My first assignment was um, to work on a project at T-Mobile. Uh, so I am based out of Seattle, for those who uh, who don't know. And uh, T-Mobile headquarters are here, uh, not in Seattle proper, but in the Seattle greater area. So my first engagement was with T-Mobile and I proved myself there. Then I was hired by T-Mobile, right? The interview process at that point was just a formality. They had seen my work. They knew me. I was not just a name on a resume. And so they brought me in, right? So I went from being a high school teacher to working at a then small consulting company, five people. I think they're at 50, 60 now. Then T-Mobile, which is a large name. And I worked for two years at T-Mobile. In the meantime, I was taking interviews at different companies. Uh, I personally like to interview, um, I don't want to say constantly, but I like to take on interviews just to see where I am and how Besides much I'm sharp. <laughs> I, I, I need to, I need, yes, I need to, it's like a Something. muscle, right? You have to exercise it. Um, you have to stay uh, current. Uh, I need to know how much I'm worth out in the market. This sounds yeah. like something you say when you're dating girls, man. You just, yeah, what do you do for fun? Eh, do a little interviewing. Just see where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> got to interview every now and then. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I actually told someone yesterday, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it, uh, Juan, and then I'll let you get deeper into your Amazon story. Um, when when going on interviews you know i have this mentality that rejection is uh it's on the path to acceptance right so you have to go through the rejection phase in order to get accepted um and through each rejection it's like you're learning more you're learning what you actually have to learn to get the job versus going online and seeing learn learn python learn r learn statistics learn sas learn tableau learn like learn 101 things before you can actually get the job you know by going to interviews you actually learn what you you know need versus you know just trying to learn everything under the sun so uh, what's what's your thoughts on that i thought i will come back to shanice's uh, question uh, but let me answer this my thoughts are at some point let's say let's say for someone who's trying to get their first job in data analytics, at some point you have enough knowledge to be, let's say, to be dangerous enough to start a project, to take on a project, to build a portfolio. And then you have to start interviewing, right? There will be other things you could learn, but learning is never going to stop. You should just get yourself out there, go to interviews. Let's say if, if you today, you're trying to get your first data analytics job, let's say job as a data analyst, you go to 20 interviews, there will be some overlap on what yeah. those interviews are testing you on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you solidify that, I think that you should be able to get something within 
I don't know, three, six months, uh, you know, everyone has, everyone has a different timeline depending on where they live, um, you know, and how, how the market is. But yeah, you have to put yourself out there. You won't know what you're missing until you are in front of someone uh, and you are unable to answer or you come up short. And then you go back and, you know, fill those gaps. So I, I actually advise people to take a notebook to the interview if they can and just write down what uh, they're being asked. Not yeah. in the moment, but yeah. when you have breaks. Um, I actually spoke with a senior data analyst today who actually recorded her interview. She did get the job, but she actually recorded it to remember some of the questions. But, you know, for all the new people tuning in, including us, because we're new as well, um, this is good advice from Juan, who is a... Um, professional in the data world and works at Amazon. So Juan, we'll continue back to that question. Um, you know, how you got into Amazon, what is your experience like? What advice, you know, would you have for people that may want to work for Amazon uh, in the future? Yeah. So to continue uh, with Chinese's question, uh, I was at T-Mobile and at some point I realized, okay, well, I need to, I need to grow more. I need to be at a company that is uh, data driven and that has made a name for itself, uh, you know, in the tech world. I met with someone who works at Amazon. I um, I bought him coffee and a donut, um, and I met with him a block away from the Amazon headquarters. Uh, I brought my resume, and I asked him, right, you know, what do you think is my best shot? Uh, he asked me a few questions, and he said, "This role is your best shot. This is for you." The the not the easiest, but the path of least resistance. Um, you should go after the business intelligence engineering role. And I decided, I did my research on it. I went to Reddit for it. I went to Blind. Uh, and mm-hmm. I went through multiple uh, job postings. Right? Uh, and then I also used YouTube. I think his name is Dan Kreuter. He worked at Amazon for a few years, and now he coaches people to get into Amazon. Uh, I reviewed the leadership principles. I spent, I would say, a total of 40 hours preparing. Um, I wrote down... Wait, for the all... interview? Yes. Yeah. Wow. 40 that's hours? A college, that's a college class right there. <laughs> 40 hours? Jeez. Maybe 35, 40. Uh, yeah, I, I was serious about it. I wrote down every project I had worked on for the past three years. Because at that point, I had three years of full-time experience. I wrote down every project. I looked at the mm-hmm. Amazon leadership principles and I mapped my projects to those leadership principles. Mm-hmm. Then I developed, I rewrote the projects uh, in the star format and I started practicing. Right? Uh, I wasn't too concerned about the SQL part because I've, I've, I feel confident in my SQL skills. And Juan, this is gold. We might have to charge for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's some. And um, yeah, uh, and to give you a little bit more about... Um, Amazon interview process, uh, I connected with a recruiter over the phone. That was about 30 minutes. Uh, Then I had two phone screenings. Each was one hour. And then I was invited on site for a loop with five interviewers, one hour each, and then a one hour break in the middle with with someone from the team. So uh, I interviewed for a total of seven hours, right? Two phone screenings. Yeah, for the interview? 
<laughs> I, I remember <laughs> I remember leaving the interview and I had a massive headache. I just needed yeah. to uh, you know walk insane, for man. hours to remember to to forget, right? To to just relax. But did you but have I, did you have dreams about sequel after that night? <laughs> uh but yeah, yeah, I, I made it and I was I was super excited when I did. No. So did they test you during the loops? Was it like a whole bunch of like computation or SQL tests? Um, so to give you an idea, I don't know how it is now. The the role <laughs> has slightly changed. Um, when I when I started the role, it was under the stats family. Now it's under the tech family. So mm -hmm. I can see how it's become a bit more technical, the interview process. But uh, if I were to describe the interview process, I would say half of it is technical. Most of that half, most of the technical portion is SQL. Uh, so I would say SQL, um, data modeling, and some um, Python uh, data structures and algorithms, but not heavy on it. And some data visualization and presentation, um, maybe a uh, metric collection and uh, you know coming up with KPIs to measure um, uh, specific aspe aspects of the business, and then the other fifty percent is uh, purely behavioral. They grill you hard, but it's doable, right? I'm, I don't mean to scare people, but it's doable. But you have to prepare for it. You cannot mm -hmm. just show up um, without preparing. You you'd have. I mean, Maybe I should say I could have not done it without preparing. Yeah. I don't have that. Um, I'm not built like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely understand that. Um, so your position there is a business intelligence engineer, right? Correct. Um, so just for the sake of uh, understanding here, can you explain uh, the difference between business intelligence engineer and a data analyst or a data scientist role? Um, sure, sure. Or a data engineer. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I'll start, I'll share what I do uh, and I can tell you, and we can, we can start from there, right? Yeah, that'll work. And, and I'll also tell you what I don't do that <laughs> might fit uh, on the other buckets, but there is overlap um, among those roles that you've mentioned, right? Uh, data analyst, business intelligence engineer, data engineer, and data scientist. There is overlap. What I do, um, I build, you know, I auto, I build and automate reports, dashboards, data products. Different people will call them different things, but ultimately, it is something like Tableau. Personally, we don't. We don't use Tableau. We use AWS QuickSight, which is part of that uh, Amazon Web Services suite. Uh, let me take a step back. Um, let's say that I meet with some stakeholders and they say, we want to um, create some reports or expand a specific report, that, a report that's being done manually today. Right? Someone is going to a portal downloading some data uh, from, let's say, more multiple portals. They're marrying this data and then coming up with some report or some analysis, maybe as a one-off thing. And they've done it in Excel and they've put in, who knows, 20, 40, 80 hours on this. 
And then they come to me and say, hey, you know, um, it would be useful if we can create this and scale it beyond just my local machine and an Excel spreadsheet. But if, if we can scale it in hosted, um, you know, on, on the cloud and we just share this URL link for everyone to consume or to, to use. Um, my team supports a global team uh, in North America, Europe, and uh, Asia Pacific. And so it's, it, you know, we need to scale the solution so that they're accessible to everyone in that org, in that global org. So they come to me with that. So, you know, they walk me through their process. I then look for that data in our current data warehouse. If it's there, good, we can get started. If it's not, then I need to connect with other data teams um, so that uh, they can tell me where the data resides and give me access. And then at that point, we build a pipeline so that the data is now in our data warehouse. Once all the data sources are in uh, our data warehouse, we can develop some logic to um, connect it and to build um, you know, the final reporting table or tables that will be used on this report. Right? So then the initial pipelines are to source data from an external um, data warehouse. Uh, the second step would be to create these uh, ETL um, jobs to add business logic. We create uh, final reporting tables that will be used uh, on the dashboard so that on the dashboard, you don't have to add any logic and you can just say select star from this reporting table. The logic all resides on the ETL jobs. And then we build, um, you know, we work on the vi visualizations. Of course, there is a, uh, <clears throat> I've uh, skipped some uh, steps. You mm -hmm. know, this is easier said than done. Uh, sometimes this, this can take a couple of months to release yeah. the first version of a report, but that's essentially what I do. Uh, that is a project, right? But it involves multiple meetings with stakeholders. You know, aside from the projects, we will also have ad hoc requests, hold office hours, um, go through our uh, ticketing um, inbox or intake, uh, look at defects. Sometimes things break and someone needs to fix them. Um, yeah, uh, onboarding new team members, uh, you know, going to other meetings where I can learn more about the business side of things. And yeah, uh, interview people. Right, be on Twitter. So, so <laughs> yeah. when, uh, <laughs> so when, um, you said that the the initial stakeholder person comes to you and they do they already have like a spreadsheet with some of the data on there and they're like, hey, can you scale this into something bigger? Is basically what you're saying. Uh, sometimes they do. When they do, mm -hmm. uh, it it helps because to get to that initial stage, um. Yeah they've done their research, right? They know some of the pitfalls, they know the short, they know the limits. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they know the data. When they don't, then they come to you with an idea that becomes mm -hmm. a little more challenging because their expectations can be up here and what can be actually done might be down here. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we need to work through those, uh, yeah. through those scenarios so that uh, whatever is delivered is uh, meeting expectations or that there are no surprises. Mm. So when you, when you mentioned about the pipelines, 
Um, mm-hmm. I know that's something that data engineers do. So do you build the pipelines or do you com- com- communicate with the data engineers to build the pipelines? Oh, both, both. In some cases, I'll do it. In some cases, I'll rely on some of my um, data engineer teammates. And it depends yeah. on on their bandwidth. It depends on the level of difficulty. Uh, I digressed, and my apologies for that. But for instance, something I do not do. So we both build pipelines. By the way, in Amazon, uh, Amazon being such a large company, uh, there are internal tools that facilitate that process. Okay. It would be different at a startup where things are uh, built from scratch. I assume, I presume, I I, I haven't worked at a, at a startup, um, uh, and so, but there it's not big enough to develop internal tooling. Uh, so that is some overlap between, let's say, the business intelligence engineer role and the data engineering role. Where it differs is that data engineers will focus more on infrastructure and building that roadmap for the infrastructure. It, let's say if the team and organization grows, um, they might need to, they will deal with uh, you know infrastructure roadmapping or planning, whereas I won't be involved in that. They will be involved. They're also more, uh, some of their duties are uh, data modeling. I don't do much data modeling. Okay. Some, but not to the level they do. Uh, I interact more with business stakeholders than let's say the data engineers do. But of course, this is only my experience. I'm sure that it varies in other companies and departments, but I can only speak for my experience. Got you. Uh, Would you say that your experience could uh, open doors for a data engineering role if you wanted to pivot into that? Yes, most definitely. It could. It could. Uh, I see myself being able to go into data engineering, maybe data science, or even data product management. It's really up to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I am actually interested in an, like analytics engineering lead roles or potentially uh, analytic engineer manager roles or BI manager roles. I would like to um, lead a team. And I am uh, is preparing that the, myself uh, for that. Is that the 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 uh, the teacher one coming out of you? <laughs> uh, I see that there. Yes, uh, I see that there are at least in the tech world there are a lot of ICs, individual contributors, but not many managers. And something I've noticed in the in the tech industry that few managers are mentors. Uh, many are just. Um, trying to assign tasks and move up and deliver uh, results. And I think it's part of, of, of the fast-paced culture, but I would like to be a manager or a lead and uh, try to also be a mentor. Of course, easier said than done, right? I'm pointing my fingers mm-hmm. and saying, they're not doing this A, B, and C, and I will do it. But maybe if I'm in that role, um, I will find it overwhelming and then go back to being an IC. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the no, only way uh, to know is to try it. Yes. Um, more, I'm rep- you know, I'm re- right now, apparently I'm representing the guys that don't like math. So <laughs> I'm going to ask another math question. <laughs> How much um, math was that required, I guess, for that position? Are we doing calculus there or can we just stick with statistics? I'm fine with the statistics book because I haven't taken a uh, calculus class yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
perhaps we can start with the background of some of the people who are doing this type of work. Uh, I am the only one who has a math degree uh, among mm. them. Uh, some of them have uh, mechanical engineering backgrounds. Mm. Some somebody else has a advertising marketing background. Give me hope. Oh, that's J Mark. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell me that one. Don't tell me that. I might switch my degree now. <laughs> and uh, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, advertising. I've seen people come in from humanities, but for the most part, people have STEM backgrounds. Mm. Is it required? I don't think so. Uh, it just happens that people who are in STEM are mostly, or the people who are drawn to tech are mostly from STEM backgrounds. Mm. Yeah. So for your role, how, for your projects, how prepared were you uh, for your role using those projects? Or did they even help at all when you first started out at Amazon? Um, I was somewhat familiar with the process when I was, uh, Uh, you know, from, from being a T-Mobile. Mm. Um, so let me take a step back, right? Let's say you started a new job, you join a new team. It's going to be rare that you're going to be assigned, you know, a huge project and you're going to be doing it by yourself, right? Um, you're typically paired with people, right? Um, You also are assigned a mentor within the team, uh, and you can discuss that with that person uh, on your onboarding. So some, I think the, the ideal scenario when you onboard someone to the team, whether that person is junior, intermediate, or senior, is to walk them through a couple of projects, a couple of successful projects from end to end so that they know what success looks like and how mm -hmm. that team operates or that company operates. Mm -hmm. And so, so that gives you an idea of what to do. Um, it's also helpful to, you know, if you're starting a new role to connect with people within your team and also people outside of your team to understand those, um, those things, right? What, what's expected from the role, what's expected from, from the team, like what is success, what is not. Yeah. Uh, so my, my first one, my first project at Amazon was with, uh, I was paired with a technical writer. It was not a crucial project. It was more of a nice to have. So that was not, um, that was not too stressful, right? Mm. Not, not many things are writing on it. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, it, was a, it was a good partnership, right? He actually walked me through how it should be done how projects are done and how we should have uh, how we should have uh, heavy documentation on it in case one of us leaves the company or goes to a different team and that um, we can have an easy transition for whoever uh, takes ownership of that project. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, is uh, usually overseen when it comes to um, data roles, It's just not enough documentation. Where you know, let's say yeah. Jamar starts a project, and then Google offers him a job, and he leaves the company, and now Shanice has to take over that project. But there are not enough comments. Uh, there are no um, there are no documents where you know with describing where he got all the data or how he developed the KPIs. 
Um, and so it becomes um, difficult for whoever inherits that project to, to, to maintain it and build on top of it. So documentation is key. Well, and you, you brought up yeah. an interesting point with that one. Um, you don't, and I know I just said earlier that you can go on Twitter and see that you need to learn 101 skills. So I don't want anybody to take this question wrong. I'm not saying to rush out and go do this uh-huh. for clarity, just for the record. Um, but do you think, because this is not spoken much about in the data community, at least from what I've seen, do you think that technical writing is a skill that uh, a data analyst or an aspiring data analyst should have on their list of skills to learn? Mm. It's a nice to have, definitely, but I, you know, I'm trying to go back six years. I would not sign up for a technical writing class prior to applying to jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would watch maybe a couple of YouTube videos and Mm -hmm. get the basics, um, you know, so that I can talk about it or I can, I can, um, call BS when something is being done incorrectly, but I don't think it's a, a must have. It's a nice to have. Nice to have. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I want to take a quick little commercial break and I want to ask you an interesting question. Juan, don't get nervous. Oh my God. Juan's looking nervous. You guys <laughs> no, I, I'm confused. So are we, are, are, is this part going to be cut out or? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I actually want to ask about your Twitter journey. What inspired you to start your Twitter journey? You know, I'm big on documentation, Juan, so we have to talk about what inspired your Twitter journey and, you know, what, what yeah. kept you going with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been wanting to build an online presence for a while and somehow I started and then I would quit. Uh, you know, after 15 days or a month, uh, I, I don't know what your experience was, but initially when you're tweeting, you can tweet, the first 20 tweets might get a total of five likes. Uh, and it's easy to be discouraged. Um, but this final time or this this most recent time, I said, okay, I'm going to start over. I deleted all my previous tweets pre August 2021, and then I went hard at it. I went, I started tweeting, I think three to five times per day. I got a, a tool, typefully, and I dig- diligently tweeted just what came to mind, things that I thought would be useful to others. Uh, yeah, and at some point, I think after three months, my my content started going viral. Um, to be honest, I think my best content does not go viral. It the the best tweets. Oh, let's talk that about I have. That. The best let's tweets that, that. that I share get the least number of likes. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, I think. I to be honest, to be completely transparent, my silly tweets get a lot of likes. Listen, Juan. I experienced that same thing. So my story was similar. Um, Honestly, I didn't really care to build a Twitter presence. It kind of just happened. (laughs) Um, 
because uh, you know I like to I like to tweet a lot about random things. So now I feel like I actually have to pay attention to what I tweet. <laughs> but um, it's I think it took me about three months too because I really started posting more about my journey in November. And um, yeah, I barely got any likes, um, uh, rarely got any retweets. But when I did start going viral, it was on things that I didn't expect to go viral and things that I thought would go viral didn't go viral. So uh, it's, it's kind of weird how the Twitter algorithm works. Um, but you bring up a good point there. Uh, so I would also encourage people to um, not really worry about the engagements in the beginning because I wasn't worried about the engagement. I really didn't care about the engagements. My whole point in posting on Twitter was for me to keep myself accountable to the public. Um, and you know, everything else just came. So I think when we go in with the mindset of not really worrying about the engagements, but just worrying about the fact that you're putting out content, the rule of thumb in marketing is consistency, right? So one thing I learned when I was running my businesses is the more people saw stuff, eventually they would engage. Because they see it so much, eventually they're like, okay, you know, this guy or this girl's tweeting something interesting. Let me go see what their page is all about. And then you start getting followers. Those followers start retweeting. You know, you kind of look at it like you're building clientele. So your clients start retweeting. Now you have referrals, you know, because now their followers are seeing you. They're like, oh, I'm into this. And then before you know it, your pages start building up. So, you know, for anyone trying to build up any social media page, it's all about patience and it's all about not worrying about the engagements. The engagements will come. It's the consistency that's going to challenge you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's, that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so, you know, how do you feel about people documenting their journey? Um, do you think it's necessary? Because, and I ask that because I know people who don't document their journey and they still get jobs. Um, so what are your thoughts on like the necessity of it? Okay, so it's not a must have. It's a nice to have, but it will open up doors. Part of me sharing content on Twitter is to to bring opportunities to me, right? And I've I've noticed some opportunities. For example, this is one of them, right? You will post this and people will know about me, people who perhaps don't follow me, but are interested in your podcast. They'll watch this and say, okay, well, I also saw that guy on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Let me look him up. Uh, that bright yellow profile photo that I have will ring a bell yeah. in their minds. Uh, Represent Amazon on and off the clock. <laughs> It's not the same. It's not the same uh, yellow. I uh, so, to be honest, you know how I picked it. I went online and I said, "Okay, what's the color that gets the most engagement on Twitter?" And it said yellow. And so, yeah, I. Oh man, thank you for that tip, Juan. I'm gonna have to set up. A photo. <laughs> Excuse me, one second. Let me. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to set up a photo shoot now. <laughs> you about to see all of our all of our background pictures, right? <laughs> Uh, but and, that's it, that's actually interesting. A data a data driven person, yeah. The data to to come yeah. up with the uh, result to put his picture like that, <laughs> and it but, worked too. I mean, you see, he's here. Yeah, it it worked. It worked. It, but going back to the question, it uh, being online and documenting uh, my journey, right? I'm perhaps just at a different stage of my journey than someone who's trying to break in, but I'm documenting my journey and I'm sharing my opinions uh, on specific topics or on, on just 
tech and data, data analytics, hunt, job hunting. Uh, it has opened some doors. I've been reached out by uh, some startups, like uh, one startup CEO, a um, couple of directors at big companies, just to, to connect, right? And I've connected with them on video. And it doesn't have to lead to anything immediately, but I'm in their radar, right? I wasn't prior to sharing. So yeah. it is opening some opportunities. It also takes my time. So I'm, I'm trading my time or I'm in, investing my time to get opportunities and to connect with people, to network. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, for like anyone trying to get on that journey, I can attest myself, I do not have a data analyst job or a data job yet. Um, I always make that clear because some people think I'm a professional. So I'm very transparent. I'm not in a data role yet. Capitalize on the yet, emphasize in the iPhone, emphasize. <laughs> <laughs> not yet yeah but, but it's coming i but, know it's coming soon yeah but me documenting my journey has got me in front of vps i actually spoke to a vp of analytics today um i have a vp of analytics that joined my discord um and i've spoken to today i spoke to two senior data analysts next week i will be talking to a marketing manager so and all of this is just from documenting my journey um you know, a lot of recruiters r reaching out to me on LinkedIn, sending me connection requests. Um, I even have someone in LinkedIn who told me when I have my resume and everything together to send it to them and they'll try to shop me within LinkedIn. So it does open the doors for opportunities. Even if you're not ready for the opportunity, it builds the connection. Every, they're watching your journey. They want to engage. So I would say that's a benefit as well. Um, and uh, somebody mentioned it in the Twitter space. It's like when they when they see so much people engaging with you, it's like they know that you're passionate about it. So it's like even if you may not be fully qualified, you know, they can just see the fire in you that, you know, this is um, this is something that you want to do or maybe even put you in in a different position. So and, you know, you can kind of grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, to be honest, once you are in a job, you don't have to know everything about it. You can learn on the job. Uh, and some of these companies are so large, right. That employing one more person who, uh, might not be the most qualified, right. Cause I think that that's my case, right. I'm not the most qualified person out there yet. If let's say I were to have a large following online, uh, or a large community that I've built, it looks good on them, right. If I'm participating in podcasts if I, or if you're participating on, uh, workshops, or outreach programs, it looks good on them, right? They'll say, oh, Jamar, he works at um, Stripe or uh, Shanice. Yeah, she works at Amazon, right? Or Jafar, Ooh. he works at Google and, and, he's, and they are representing <laughs> that company. So it, you know, it, it makes the company look good. Yeah, right? it does. So that actually brings me to another question because you talked about qualified and you talked about not having to know everything. So the million dollar question, can I get a drum roll from somebody? Please drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Uh, no drum roll. All right. Well, the million dollar question is what skills should somebody learn before they start applying for a data analyst role? Uh, technical or non-technical? All. Uh, both. Okay. Um, before applying. So I'll start with the technical. Um, data exploration, data analysis, 
or exploratory data analysis, um, some data visualization, being able to um, communicate results with graphs, visuals, uh, some presentation skills. And well, I guess I, I already went to the non-technical uh, mm -hmm. presentation skills, uh, communication, uh, some common sense. Right? Sometimes uh, being able to connect with individuals, sometimes, especially in smaller companies, right? Um, the decisions on, 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 you know, the hiring decisions boil down to, I don't like this person or I connected with this person. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> people, and I'm digressing here, but people will DM me saying, hey, can you cook a roadmap for me? Can you prepare a roadmap? Tell me how to get in and you know my answer is always the same like i i don't i don't know the roadmap for you i don't know exactly oh. <laughs> what you're looking for mm -hmm. but if you're trying to get into data analytics start with a free code camp um roadmap right it's there it's free and there's a huge community um mm -hmm. i think that's enough it's like i don't know it might take some people one month it might take other people 12 months uh but once you go through it build three, four, five projects, I think you're, you know, ready, especially if you're coming from a different field or you have some work experience under your belt, right? Because if you have work experience, even though if it's not in data science or data analytics, you are working with people, you're communicating, you're collaborating, mm -hmm. you're building things, uh, you know, you're running programs, you're running projects. So a lot of those are transferable, transferable, transferable skills. Yeah. Facts. Um, yeah, I really like this discussion because a lot of, and uh, I know we have a few educators in the Discord, um, which if you guys are not, go ahead and join the All About the Data Discord. We officially 1,400 plus members. Wow. <laughs> no, I thought we wasn't going to hit 2,000 until like next year, but I don't know. I have to like, my, my predictive analysis <laughs> what I did there is going to have to change because it's like going a little faster than I thought. But we do have some educators in there who always ask, you know, is there any educators that transition into data? So I feel like this discussion is going to uh, help a lot. But is there any like further tips that you would specifically give to educators transitioning into data? To educators. Um, so teachers or people in, in education uh, deal with multiple stakeholders. So I can tell you as a former teacher, I dealt with my students. I had to manage their expectations. I dealt with uh, the department chair uh, and the school principal. I have to manage those expectations. And I dealt with the parents. You have to manage their expectations too. So that is stakeholder management. You just have to word it in a way that is appealing to those looking for talent. Uh, there's that, there's presentation skills. In many, in many cases, you'll, you'll run into technical workers who are very savvy, very good when behind a screen or a keyboard, yet when it comes to presenting it to a large audience, they're nervous. They don't want to do it. They want to give it to someone else. Um, a teacher is in front of the class every day. That's, again, presentation skills. That's very transferable to the job. Um, if you are a teacher in STEM uh, and you can 
Okay, let me take a pause there. Teachers have it good in the sense that most teachers have a job guaranteed, basically, right? And they have the summers off. So let's say that I'm a teacher right now. It's January 21st. Oh, 29th. Uh, and I want to transition, right? But I'm in no rush. So ideally, I want to do it over the summer, if not next summer. Well, I'm a math teacher or stats teacher. If I'm putting myself on the goal of transitioning in 2023, so a year and five months from now, summer of 2023, in the next school year, I can switch up my, let's say, stats class or math class and incorporate the use of Excel or the use of some data visualization tool, right? And then I can incorporate that uh, in my in my resume and, and make it more attractive to potential employers. So uh, another thing too, if you're in a school that somehow employs like database administrators or, or data analysts, well, find a way to connect with those people, right? Or if someone is teaching a stats class in the school where you teach and you're an English teacher, well, maybe try to help out that teacher or join the class and, and help and participate. Uh, there is really more, more than one way to achieve the same goal, right? But we have to be creative. And the best way to do it is to do it within our current situation, right? If you're now, let's uh, discuss a different role, right? But if you're, I don't know, an executive assistant or a, a person in marketing at a firm that has a data team or data teams, well, go and make some friends, right? And find a way to, to learn or to incorporate those skills that you're missing into your current job, as long as they add value. Hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, that definitely answered it um, for sure. And yeah, I had one more question for him. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. Um, Juan, uh, I wanted yes. to know because, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people that always, when I ask them about like IT, if they would get into it, oh, you know, I'm not good at that or, you know, that's not my type of thing. Um, what would you say like your personality type is just to give a clarification for everybody that, that may watch, you know, that may be interested into doing the type of job, you know, a lot of people can't relate because they're like, Oh, these are IT people. And all they do is, you know, type on calculators all day for fun. So what's like your personality <laughs> type, the hobbies that you have, like, yeah, yeah. You doing your spare time that, that's a, well. a very good question. So, uh, yeah, I, I might, you know, you're interviewing me. I'm well, obviously I want to give good content, or I want to give good answers that are useful to people. So I might be a little more serious here, but you know, at work, I I'm, I'm pretty pretty open to connecting with people. I like to, you know, sometimes set up uh, like one on ones for like 15, 20 minutes to just discuss things that are not work related, uh, mm -hmm. so that I get to know the person. And it's not just, you know, here are the deadlines. We need to meet A by the 15th and B by the 30th. You know. Ultimately, exactly. you're working with people and you want to connect with them. So personally, what do I do outside of uh, working and being on Twitter? Um, uh, I'm in Washington State. I like to go outdoors. I like to go uh, um, on hikes and treks. This is something that I've learned in the past five years. I did not used to do that. I actually grew up um, 
across the street from the beach in South America. But mm-hmm. over the years, you know, you'll develop new new habits. Uh, um, I over the years, I've also kept in touch with close people, even though they don't live in the same city as me. So I have friends mm-hmm. um, throughout the U.S. and also in Latin America that I connect with. Uh, COVID has changed things, uh, but I like to go, I like to travel um, internationally, mainly um, mm-hmm. within the U.S. too. Um, I like to go out and eat and try new foods, mm-hmm. you know. You look at the data before you try the new foods? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, this is not, not data related, but uh, so I actually, my, my parents owned restaurants when I was growing up in Peru. Mm-hmm. Um and I worked in the restaurant industry for a few years um, when I came to the U.S. Uh, and, and that's how I paid for my undergrad, actually. And I always noticed, or this is just my opinion, that people who leave reviews in restaurants are, for the most part, not very savvy about, uh, or they're, they're just not very uh, well-informed about food or about service. Mm-hmm. So it's always the just the loudest person leaving a review. So personally, I don't like to look at the reviews. Also, uh, as a as a Peruvian, right? Uh, if I were to open a Peruvian restaurant, most of the people who will leave a review have never been to Peru or don't know about Peruvian food. So I simply wouldn't trust their judgment on on that type of food. So I don't I don't look at the reviews. And I like to go to restaurants actually during the week and not in the weekend. I don't like them when they're too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get the best service and the best food presentation on the slow days. Uh, y- y'all hear that data, that uh, predictive data analysis there. That's yeah. one prediction, guys. Got to give it a try. Yeah. Uh, some tips. I see you like going outdoors from uh, the picture on the side there. I was like, this is buffaloes yeah. and bears and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask oh. you about that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's like a vintage national park um, poster that we got uh, a few weeks ago when we were visiting Portland, Oregon. So mm. Portland, Oregon is about a three-hour drive from here. Yeah. Awesome. So it, it's beautiful out here. I don't know where you guys are. I know Jamar is in Florida, but I don't know where the two of you are based. South Florida, man. Miami, baby. <laughs> Chicago, Illinois, Midwest. Okay. Yep. okay. We are all over the world right now. It's cold <laughs> in Chicago now. Two states. Listen, in the, yeah, in the it's Discord, freezing outside. In the Discord, there's people from like so many different countries. Mm-hmm. Like I, I lost track at this point. <laughs> so diverse. Um, but we are coming to the top of the hour. So Juan, I wanted to just ask, uh, what is next for you? What can people expect with your content? What do you have for your career plans? Like what's for Juan? What's coming to Juan right now? What's coming? Uh, I will continue, uh, sharing content on, on, on my journey, on what I've learned, on what I think are some underrated skills in tech, um, and I will have that, and I will let that give lead me to more opportunities, and I'll assess, I'll reassess once those opportunities are in front of me. I don't want to uh, um, overpromise and underdeliver, <laughs> but uh, I, I do have an idea um, of, of where I want to be in a year or two. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a lead uh, or manager role in a, in an analytics team. 
company yet undecided. You know, there are so many opportunities out there. I'm just waiting for the right one to be in front of me and uh, to jump on it. And awesome. Don't forget about us when you hit 50,000 followers, Juan. No, no, no. And about you like, Juan, you know, you know us, Juan. <laughs> I got the proof. <laughs> Uh, no, I, if if I ever hit 50k, you'll be at 350, Jamar. This uh, <laughs> guy. Oh man, but we appreciate you, Juan. I just want to get into our we tech do, titan yeah. session really quick. Our tech titan for this week goes out to Kiera D. Make sure you guys follow at Kiera D on Twitter. I am Kiera D. We'll put her in the show notes. Um, the reason why we nominated her as the tech titan is, um, one, she actually is my mentor. She's She was a big asset in me coming into data, um, which I've mentioned this in almost every video I do, um, which, you know, it goes back to my quote, uh, never forget the person that put you on and never forget to do the same by putting others on. Um, so definitely want to shout out to her. She has um, a blog. She has a lot of services to help people that are pivoting into data so you guys should definitely follow her that is our tech titan for the week i want to give it over to my co-host as we get ready to close out talk to the people <laughs> oh that was terrible um, Come on, let's try it <laughs> <laughs> i thought you nah, was going <laughs> uh, um, oh, like, we're both waiting i'm like ladies first ladies first <laughs> <laughs> Nah, uh, shout out to the people. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Juan, we appreciate you coming on, man, and spreading the knowledge and the wisdom and letting us know uh, basically how to get into Amazon so we could get a seat right next to you. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also want to thank you, Juan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll... No, I just want to thank you for coming on, for being our first speaker. Um, this was a great discussion, and I look forward to seeing your journey. Thank you for the invitation. It was my pleasure to to be part of the podcast, and uh, hopefully, I'll get another invitation in the future. Oh, oh definitely. for sure, yeah. Definitely. We appreciate you, Juan. You have a good rest of your night. You as well. Till next time. See you guys on Twitter. Till next time. Bye. We want to shout out to everybody that's tuned into the All About the Data podcast. We appreciate you. Please look out for our episodes. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And we are now on LinkedIn. All About the Data, baby. Peace. <laughs>